I come out of agreement with the lie that you had left me on my own. Oh, I'm not alone. I come out of agreement with the worry and the fear I've come to know. No, they won't have a hold on me. Protector, you never, never, never let me go. You said you wouldn't leave me and you won't. You're right by my side. Protector. I come into agreement with the truth that you are who you say you are. I can trust you with my heart. I come into agreement with what heaven has declared over my life. Cause I know that you fight for me. Protector, you never, never, never let me go. You say.
this fall, we're in a series called The Gospel of Jesus. We believe the gospel presents a compelling case for what Jesus' early followers believed. Jesus fulfilled God's promise to redeem His creation and make all things new. We believe the gospel of Jesus makes the most sense in explaining the meaning and purpose of life and our part in it. How did Jesus regard hell, the devil, and demons? Well, good morning. We're continuing our series on the gospel of Jesus, and we're asking this question. Uh, what did Jesus say about the devil and demons? Uh, how did Jesus regard the devil and demons? How do you regard the devil and demons? Well, we're going to find out what Jesus said, and we're going to talk about some practical ways that we respond to the reality of the devil and demons. Uh, perhaps you've seen a very, very funny commercial. It opens with this. If you're in a horror movie, you make poor decisions. That's the voiceover in this commercial. I won't tell you what the commercial is. You, you'll figure it out, or you can go online and uh, Google the description. Uh, if you're in a horror movie, you make poor decisions. And it's a group of young people running from a chainsaw murder in the middle of the forest. So it's a mock-up of all those crazy horror movies. Uh, Friday the 13th, Chainsaw, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. You know, so it's Jason and Freddy and everybody thrown in together. Uh, and they, so they stumble upon an old cabin and they say, hey, let's hide in the attic. Uh, somebody else says, no, in the basement. And one of the young women, there's four of them, two women and two men, one of the women breaks out uh, crying hysterically, and she says, um, why can't we just get in the running car? And they go, no, 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 that would be uh, crazy. Are you crazy? Let's hide behind the chainsaws. And so in the shed, there's all these chainsaws hanging there, and they said, yeah, that's smart. They run behind the chainsaws, but don't notice the murderer, the chainsaw guy, uh, standing behind them. He's got his mask pulled up. And this guy, uh, David Figlioli is his name. He's the actor playing the part. Gives an, an incredibly funny uh, <laughs> just expression. I can't even repeat it, but you'll see when you see the com commercial. And he's like, I can't believe how clueless these people are. It's that look. And so now you know it's a whole spoof, and it's very funny at that point. Uh, and they finally notice him. They see him, and they run off yelling, <laughs> Head for the cemetery! And so it's a perfect mock on all those horror movies you've probably seen or heard about. And you don't want your small children to watch. I don't even watch them. I don't want to watch those movies. I don't want those images in my head. Uh, apparently, though, these four people will not need car insurance. That's a little clue about who made this commercial. And the, so the commercial's message is this. Don't make bad decisions by listening to the wrong people. That's a great universal lesson, isn't it? Across ages and stages. Don't make wrong decisions. Don't make poor decisions by listening to the wrong people. And if I was going to summarize everything that Jesus said and did in response to Satan, the devil, demons, the dark forces, is this right there. Don't make decisions by listening to the wrong people. Don't live your life by listening to the wrong people. How do you avoid making bad decisions? Making good decisions. How do you make good decisions? I love the way the, the psalmist says it in Psalm 119. Uh, your word is a lamp to my feet. We have to learn how to make good decisions from the guidance of God himself. God himself will show us how to make good decisions. 
the Holy Spirit who comes into our lives when we receive Jesus into our lives will alert us to bad decisions, will help and guide us into making good decisions. So the best decision we make is listening to God, is obeying God. He understands the fractured reality within us. He understands the fractured world within which we live. Uh, We live in a conflicted world at war. Now, I'm not just talking about wars between countries. I'm talking about spiritual powers and principalities that exist, that we can't see, that we're not privy to, but that affect us. We live in a conflicted world at war, a spiritual war that keeps our world making bad decisions. Now, at this point, you might be saying, I have, there's no way I believe that. I think that's ridiculous. And, and if you ask most people, they'd say, come on, that's old uh, stuff that we've outgrown. I love C.S. Lewis's take on this. He said, you know, uh, the worst thing we can do is to disbelieve in the devil. There's only thing worse than disbelieving in the devil. It's being in an unhealthy way, uh, focusing on and preoccupied with the devil. So we want to avoid those extremes, not believing that Satan exists or being so uh, focused on Satan that we miss the fact that um, God is the way that we make good decisions and guide, and he, he will guide us through life as we navigate uh, life in him. And so I love the way Paul says it to the Ephesians, these people who lived in Ephesus, a, a growing church in a very cosmopolitan, uh, powerful economy, but riven with supernatural beliefs in demons and idols and false gods. And he says this, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God. Now this resonated with the people because they saw the Roman soldiers who controlled Ephesus. They lived in the context of the Roman Empire. They lived in a a world that was constantly at war. If it's not the Greeks, the Persians, uh, the Syrians, the Egyptians, the Romans, a war a, a war was constantly uh, going on somewhere. So this, this picture, this metaphor, uh, this simile, put on the full armor of God so you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Though we have struggles against flesh and blood, we have struggles with people. But that's not our battle. It's against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, Paul says, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Now, that is a wild thing to claim. How, how did Paul come up with this? He came up with it through uh, the teaching of God's Word. The teaching of God's Word. And so the first point of the morning is this. Spiritual warfare describes God's fight with the sources of evil, not ours. Not ours. Yes, we're we're in the fight, but the fight is not ours. The fight is His. The fight is His, and we belong to Him. So the fight isn't ours. The fight is His. And when, it, when the Bible talks about fighting against these powers and principalities, what people commonly call spiritual warfare, uh, it, it might be very different than what you've been led to believe. Spiritual warfare describes God's fight with the forces of evil, not ours. Uh, John says it this way. The Apostle John said it in 1 John 3.8. 
The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. So this is one of the ways that John sums up Jesus' ministry. The reason uh, the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. How does John know this? Well, because he heard what Jesus said about the devil. And so uh, in John's gospel, he quotes Jesus several times. He says in John uh, uh, chapter 8, verses 43 to 46, Jesus speaking, he says of the devil, he was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him, for he is a liar and the father of lies. That's a description of of Satan, the devil. Uh, Then in John 12, Jesus says, now the prince of this world, referring to the devil, will be driven out. And then in John 14, he says, for the prince of this world is coming. He has no hold over me. Then finally in John 16, uh, John quotes Jesus saying this, I will send the Holy Spirit, the advocate, to you. When he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin, that is, taking it too lightly, understanding that it is a symptom of our broken condition. And he will uh, prove the righteousness and judgment about sin, and about sin because people who do not believe in me, about righteousness, because I'm going to the Father where you can see me longer, and about judgment because the prince of this world now stands condemned. That's a mouthful. Let me read it one more time. Jesus says, I will send the advocate, the Holy Spirit, to you. When he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. They're wrong about all these things. They don't understand sin, righteousness, or God's judgment. About sin, because people do not believe in me. About righteousness, because I'm going to the Father, where you can see me no longer. And about judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. Wow. Sin, righteousness, and judgment are big issues in the kingdom of God. That's why salvation is the bigger issue. God wants to to redeem us and rescue us from sin. Bring us into righteousness. Prepare us for judgment so that we're clothed in that righteousness. So the first big idea of the morning is this spiritual warfare describes God's fight. God's fight with the forces of evil, not ours. Second point is this. You have an enemy and it's not other people or bad internet connectivity. You have an enemy. It's Satan. It's the devil. It's demonic forces. It's powers and principalities. It's not other people. That's why he said earlier, look, our, our battle isn't against flesh and blood. People are not our enemy. Now, after going through this bruising political campaign that we've just witnessed, perhaps you've even participated in it, you've seen it looks like lots of times people can make each other an enemy. Uh, that's where all the wars that we see that disrupt our world come from. People perceive each other as enemies. People the same household. People of, of different beliefs and convictions. But you have an enemy, and it's not other people. People are victims of the enemy. It doesn't take away their responsibility for the choices they make, but people are influenced by, by powers and forces that they're often not even aware of, that play on their own fallen nature. We are responsible for us and the decisions we make. The devil doesn't make us do it. But the devil can influence us, can distract us, can discourage us. That's part of the devil's play. So you have an enemy. It's not other people. And and by way of being funny, it's not bad internet connectivity. 
we oftentimes kid around about something that's not working. We say, oh, man, that, that, that it's possessed. It's demonic. Uh, but it, as much as we kid about it, uh, the serious reality is this, that we do have an enemy. And so Paul writes to the Corinthians in chapter 4, 4, 2 Corinthians 4, 4, the God of this age, referring again to Satan or the devil, has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Satan doesn't want us to know who God is. He doesn't want us to know who he is. He wants us to think and believe that we are independent players. He wants to deceive us, discourage us, distract us. Satan is real. Satan is real. But Satan is not powerful like God. Satan is ominous, threatening, he's, but not omni. And what do I mean by that? Uh, Satan is ominous. He is up to something no good, but he's not omni. Omni as in God is omnipotent, all-powerful. God is omnipresent. He can be everywhere at all times. Satan cannot be everywhere at all times. He is omniscient. He knows all things. Satan doesn't know all things. Uh, Satan has a lot of data about human beings and human history, but he's not all-knowing. God is love. Satan is not. Satan is what God isn't. Satan is what God isn't. Satan is evil, malicious, deceitful, deceptive, cruel, conniving. And then Satan isn't what God is. Satan isn't good, beautiful, loving, gracious, compassionate, or true. Satan is the liar, the troubler, the usurper, the pretender, the imposter, the enemy. You have an enemy of your soul. It is Satan. He masquerades as an angel of light. That is, he presents things that look so attractive. Uh, this is why it's serious business to not fall into patterns of behavior that, that allow you to be seduced, um, faked out by Satan. Even something as simple as what look like little parlor games, party games, Ouija boards, tarot cards, horoscopes, seances. These are all things in which we open ourselves up to satanic influences. You think of it as just a fun, silly thing you're doing. It's actually a very serious thing you're exposing yourself to. So he masquerades as an angel of light. So what do we do? We test the spirits. We test dreams. We test visions. We, we test urgings. How do you test them? Against God's word. If, I'm, if I have a dream, if I have a vision, if I have an urging, if I have a sense that this is something I'm supposed to do, test it against God's word. Test it against godly counsel. Because God does speak through dreams and visions. He does speak through promptings. He does speak through intuitive sense of, I'm supposed to do something. I'm not supposed to do something. Uh, he does speak through people and life experiences. So let's test those perceptions, those, those messages against the message of God's word. Our part is to align with the Lord wisely using the means he's given us to resist evil. Resist the devil and he will flee from you, right? That's what the scriptures tell us. 
And so Paul writes to the Corinthians again, 2 Corinthians 2, 11. We are not unaware of Satan's schemes. I don't really know all of the details behind Satan's schemes, but I know Satan wants to separate me from God. He wants to isolate me. He wants to confuse me. He wants to have me put my confidence in him. And not in some way that I can see Satan or I, I actually invoke Satan's name, but as long as I don't put my confidence in God, as long as I don't listen to God, as long as I don't obey God, as, as long as I don't grow in my knowledge and love of God, uh, Satan owns me. He controls me. He influences me. And so uh, Peter says it this way, be alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. One time I was in Africa and I was in a vehicle with uh, some friends and we're driving uh, through the bush and all of a sudden we came upon in this open air vehicle, uh, there's maybe six of us in the vehicle, uh, it's an open, open uh, uh, convertible uh, Range Rover and all of a sudden there's four lions in front of us. I start to stand up to get a better view and the driver said, please sit down. He said it really quietly, but calmly, but with real conviction. Please sit down. He said, if the lion sees you and your profile, the lion will want to take you out. As long as the lion sees us together, uh, they won't mess with us. Wow. Be alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. He wants to separate us from the Lord. He wants us that our most vulnerable but we have God's word. We have God's Holy Spirit. We have godly guides. Uh, we can avoid obvious sin. Obvious sins. Things you just know are wrong. Just avoid them. More subtle sins are, are, are a bit trickier. That's where the more mature we are, the more we realize, hey, you know, what I'm feeling is a need is really a temptation. We all have needs, and sometimes Satan wants to take those needs and turn them into temptations. Uh, by saying, I have a need, and recognizing your need, you get it out there and you say, okay, what, what's the answer to this need? If we go down the path of temptation, what appears to be a need is really just um, uh, is a genuine need. But the solutions that come to mind that present themselves through Satan are meant to take us away from a solution, a satisfying response to that need, to something that will destroy us. So Satan wants to distract to deceive, to discourage, and destroy you. Focus on Jesus. Focus on his word. Focus on the presence of the Holy Spirit in you. And then as you feel isolated, connect with the Lord. Connect with people. Let them talk you off the ledge, so to speak. Say, hey, I'm feeling this. I'm not feeling that. I have this impulse. I have this desire to lash out, to get revenge, to compromise a commitment. And, and by having those people give us perspective, we, we come back into our right mind, aligned with God's Word, His Holy Spirit, and these godly guides. See, our most effective spiritual warfare is living into our new identity and our new character. So how, yeah, so how do you fight spiritual warfare? Well, remember, it's God's battle, not ours. But we're called into the fight. We're conscripted into the fight by belonging to God. And Satan doesn't like that. So if God wants to get at God, he's going to try to get at us. So how do we fight spiritual battle. Well, the most effective spiritual warfare we have is simply living into our new identity and a new character in Christ. 
I know identity is you are a beloved child of God. Because you're made in the image of God who, is, who has redeemed you, is rescuing you, is restoring you, is renewing you. By your faith in Christ, by Christ's presence in you, by Christ's death on the cross, destroying the power of sin and death to define you. And then what's your character about? Well, it's that shaping of who we are. Not a distortion of who we are, that's what Satan does. But God wants to bring us into clarity about who we are, to restore the wholeness of who we are. And the character traits of that would be things like the fruit of the Spirit. We see in Galatians uh, 5.22, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. These are the characteristics that are the most powerful weapons in spiritual warfare. The ultimate weapon, of course, is, is love. Jesus said, they'll know who you are as my disciples by your love. For me, for one another, and even for your enemies. Our most effective spiritual warfare is living into a new identity and a new character. The Apostle Paul gives us wise, practical coaching for growing in Christ. Uh, so, so here's some of the practical behavioral things that we do that, in a sense, express our partnership with God in this spiritual battle. So Paul says, you were taught with regard to your former way of life, and he says this to the Ephesians in chapter 4, verses 22 to 32. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self. That's no longer who I am. That's no longer who I want to be. Put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. This is not a self-improvement program, but it's our uh, intentional, volitional choice to become, to partner in God's work in us, to transform us into his own likeness. So we actually get to participate in this process. We make effort, but it's all based on God's grace, God's power. We, as Paul said to the Colossians, you know, I, 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 I struggle with all his energy, which works so powerfully within me. So you're, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. Wow, being honest, speaking the truth is spiritual warfare. Wow. Who knew? Speaking truthfully in love is an aspect of spiritual warfare. Why? We're not letting Satan get between us and other people. We're not letting Satan get between us and our relationship with God. He goes on to say, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. Do not give the devil a foothold. Why is anger so powerfully destructive? Because anger alerts us to something that something isn't right. So that anger response is not necessarily sinful. It's an awareness that somehow something is being compromised. Something is threatening me. Uh, someone is trying to take advantage of me. Somebody is not respecting me. And that, and that initial sense of, wow, something isn't right here is not a bad thing. Uh, we get angry when we hear about people being trafficked. We're angry when we hear about people lying. We get angry when people have taken advantage of other people. So that first response, anger, isn't bad necessarily. 
But we have to go someplace other than just more anger because anger ultimately uh, destroys us. Let it alert you, but don't let it guide you. So in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. Do not give the devil a foothold. It doesn't mean you have to resolve all issues before the sun sets. Sometimes people in marriage just think, oh, the Bible says you have to, don't go to bed angry. Well, sometimes you have to go to bed angry, but before you go to bed, you can say, you know, I'm really feeling this. I got some big feelings about this. Here's why. Obviously, we can't process this at all tonight. Let's, let's talk about this. Let's deal with it in the days and weeks ahead. It's, it's, it's recognizing the powerful, destructive nature of anger that's unabated, unaddressed, undirected. Do not give the devil a foothold because the devil wants to churn us up and make us angry. And anger feels powerful, doesn't it? Anger feels like you're in charge and you're in control. Anger can give us a sense of faux, artificial righteousness. When you're an angry person with a big voice, people think, oh my gosh, there's authority here. There's no authority there. It's, it's not authority. It's false authority. It's faux authority. It's big feelings that we misinterpret as authority. Angry people do not have genuine, authentic authority. Righteous people have authentic authority. People who love justice, righteousness, goodness, all those fruits of the Spirit, they're the people we want to, we want to follow. But if, if, we're, if we're prompted by our initial anger, very quickly we have to pivot uh, to uh, all those qualities that, that God wants us uh, to grow into. So anyone who's been stealing must no longer steal, he says. That's spiritual warfare. Becoming righteously aligned with people. You're no longer defrauding people. Why? Because Satan defrauds people. When we stop defrauding people, that's spiritual warfare. We're rebuking Satan's strategies and tactics. But we must work, Paul says, doing something useful with our own hands. Oh my gosh, spiritual warfare. Doing something creative and useful is a rebuke of Satan. He wants to tear down. God wants us to build up. Why would we do that? that? That we may have something to share with those in need. Oh, generosity is an expression of spiritual warfare. It's not really the main f- focus of it. Generosity is about honoring and glorifying God and blessing people. But in that, it is actually then also an act of spiritual warfare against the powers and principalities that would uh, disrespect God and defraud people. You see this power in this, these practical things? This is what a spiritual warrior looks like. They're not just walking around pontificating on, on demons and, and the devil and spiritual things. That can also often be a bombastic way of hiding. Putting people on the defensive by always talking about spiritual warfare, how you see it and how they're doing it. Sometimes I've heard people use that language of spiritual warfare to make other people like, feel like perpetual victims. That they must depend on this person who has all the control to protect them. It's wrong at every level. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building up others according to their needs. Their needs. Not my needs to control them. Their needs that I can then perhaps help meet. That it may benefit those who listen. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. We belong now to God. We can't be separated from the love of God in Christ. Nothing and no one can do that. especially Satan. So don't grieve the Holy Spirit with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, 
along with every form of malice. See, all these things look like Satan. All these things sound like Satan. All these things reflect Satan's strategies and tactics. Let them go. Get counseling. There's symptoms of something deeper going on. Where then, right? So get counseling and say, hey, I'm dealing with these things. I, I believe that I'm a beloved child of God. I believe what the Word of God tells me about me and about the world, but I'm wrestling with these behaviors. And then in the process of counseling, in a sense, the productive process of counseling ends up being, again, um, an act of spiritual warfare. I'm rejecting the lies of Satan about who I am and how I'm stuck. You don't have to stay stuck. So get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Malice is revenge, it's envy, jealousy. And what happens? Well, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. You see, this is spiritual warfare. How do you know if you're getting better at spiritual warfare? Well, the fruit of the Spirit become more apparent, but also you're a person who is kind and compassionate. You're a person who is forgiving. You're a person who's receiving the forgiveness uh, that God gives you in Christ. You don't live in shame. You don't live in constant uh, judgment over yourself. You live in the redemptive work of God in you. So you confess and you repent. That's spiritual warfare. And then you receive forgiveness and reconciliation. Ooh, that's an act of spiritual warfare. Final point of the morning is this. Uh, If the first is that it's God's battle, not ours, and the second is you have an enemy, but it's not people, the third point is this. Paul tells us to apply the Lord's powerful resources in opposing Satan. It's always about the Lord's resources, not ours. Paul tells us to apply the Lord's powerful resources in opposing Satan. We can be prepared and equipped for making good decisions. Remember, that's how we started out the morning. Moving from people who make poor decisions by listening to the wrong people. We can be prepared and equipped for good decisions. This is basic discipleship. These are the practices, the spiritual practices that allow us to grow into maturity as a beloved child of God. Bible study, prayer, spiritual growth, godly counsel, fasting, good works, supportive community. And so Paul writes to the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 10, he says, the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, the weapons we fight with have divine power to demolish strongholds, satanic strongholds. We demolish satanic arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. See the power of this? We don't go around looking for Satan in anything, in people and situations. We might be aware, though, that, wow, there's a lot of anger here. I've got to be careful. This is an opportunity for Satan to compromise me and the whole situation. Or there's some behaviors going on here that these do not look like behaviors that honor, glorify God, or bless people. I've got to be aware there's a spiritually sensitive situation I've got to be heads up about. How do I demolish these strongholds to control people? I speak the truth in love. Again, that's why counseling at every level in a life group or formal counseling is so powerful. Having a coach, having a guide, having a mentor, being discipled by somebody is powerful for demolishing strongholds. And when we demolish arguments, it's not by more argumentation. It's by getting at the truth and saying, what is the content, the context of this argument? Is it, is it supported by the Word of God? 
Is there any substance here whatsoever? And then the pretension is that, you know, I'm awesome. I don't need God. How do you, how do you destroy that stronghold? Well, you take every thought captive to Christ. You are a beloved child of God. And yet he calls us to humble ourselves that he might lift us up. I love the way Paul writes to the Ephesians 5.21. Let's submit ourselves to one another out of our common reverence for Christ. That's an act of humility. Again, it becomes an act of spiritual warfare against the powers of darkness. So essentially you have everything you need from the Lord to resist Satan right now. After all, what I just said is yours if you are in Christ. And you can get more conversant in the Word of God, more wise in the way you apply it, but that puts you as a spiritual warrior in the best sense of the word. That allows you to be artful in spiritual warfare without even thinking about it. Just by being you in Christ, you're resisting this, the devil. You're rebuking the devil. So rebuke him in Jesus' name when you feel tempted, when you feel threatened, when you feel vulnerable. If you've opened yourself to demonic influences or practices, simply repent and confess. Lord, I, I wittingly or unwittingly open myself to, to these influences. I want to confess that. I want to turn to you. And I want to give you a prayer. Uh, this was in the Read, Think, Pray this week. So if, if you don't worry about writing it down right now, uh, go back to the Read, Think, Pray. If you, you're not on Read, Think, Pray distribution, uh, just uh, tell our office and we'll, we'll, we'll send it to you every week. So here's a prayer to help you feel confident that you have rejected Satan's influence. <clears throat> so pray with me. If you want to close your eyes, fine. If you want to open your eyes, that's fine too. If you want to put your hands open like this, like you're going to receive something from God, great. If you want to simply put them in your, in your lap, or, or uh, if you want to get on your face, <laughs> if you want to sit with your hands open to God, however you feel comfortable praying, let me pray for you right now. So this is the prayer I'm praying on, on your behalf and mine. I've, I've prayed this prayer. And I'm praying it on your behalf, on behalf of everybody watching this. this is, you can own this as your prayer as I say it on your behalf. Jesus, I come to you as my protector and deliverer. I believe that you are the Son of God and that you died for me and rose again from the dead. By your word, I believe you love me unconditionally and accept me as your beloved child by faith. I acknowledge you as my Lord and renounce all influences of Satan in my life. Lord, you know the issues and influences that oppress me, harass me, entice me, and enslave me. Your word and your spirit destroys those strongholds and sets me free. I confess all my sins to you, Lord. I repent of all my sins. I renounce any form of the occult or idolatry in my life, or in the life of my ancestors. I receive your grace by faith in your atoning sacrifice on the cross and your resurrection from the dead. I recognize your glorious reign over all things. I forgive anyone who has ever hurt me in any way, and I let go of any bitterness or resentment toward them. I believe I am saved by the blood of Jesus, and Satan has no rights to my spirit soul, mind, or body. I know that he is an accuser and a deceiver, and you have broken his power over me. I know that through the blood of Jesus Christ, I'm saved and sanctified, set apart to God. Through the blood of Jesus, I am redeemed out of the hand of the devil and all the forces of evil. Lord Jesus, you said, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be delivered. I call upon you, Lord, 
Deliver me, sanctify me, protect me, and fill me with your Holy Spirit. Now in the name of Jesus Christ, I bind every evil spirit and every evil influence in or around my life. In the name of Jesus, I command them to go. I pray all these things in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine on you, that you might reflect his glory wherever you go. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon us all, giving us his love, his peace, his mercy, his power, both now and forevermore. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.